Section 22 of The World's Famous Orations, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 2. On the Punishment of the Catiline Conspirators, by Cato the Younger. Footnote. Delivered in the Roman Senate House soon after Caesar had spoken in 63 B.C. Reported by Sallust, translated by John S. Watson, and footnote. Born in 95 B.C., died in 46, served against Spartacus in 72, Quester in 65, Praetor in 54, served under Pompey against Caesar in 48, committed suicide in 46. My feelings, conscript fathers, are extremely different when I contemplate our circumstances and dangers, and when I revolve in my mind the sentiments of some who have spoken before me. Those speakers, as it seems to me, have considered only how to punish the traitors who have raised war against their country, their parents, their altars, and their homes, but the state of affairs warns us rather to secure ourselves against them than to take counsel as to what sentence we should pass upon them. Other crimes you may punish after they have been committed, but as to this, unless you prevent its commission, you will, when it has once taken effect, in vain appeal to justice. When the city is taken, no power is left to the vanquished. But in the name of the immortal gods I call upon you, who have always valued your mansions and villas, your statues and pictures, at a higher price than the welfare of your country, if you wish to preserve those possessions of whatever kind they are to which you were attached, if you wish to secure quiet for the enjoyment of your pleasures, arouse yourselves and act in defense of your country. We are not now debating on the revenues or on injuries done to our allies, but our liberty and our life is at stake. Often, conscript fathers, have I spoken at great length in this assembly. Often have I complained of the luxury and avarice of our citizens, and by that very means have occurred the displeasure of many. I, who never excused to myself or to my own conscience the commission of any fault, could not easily pardon the misconduct or indulge the licentiousness of others. But though you little regarded my remonstrances, yet the Republic remained secure. Its own strength was proof against your remissness. The question, however, at present under discussion, is not whether we live in a good or bad state of morals, nor how great, nor how splendid, the empire of the Roman people is, but whether these things around us, of whatever value they are, are to continue our own, or to fall with ourselves into the hands of the enemy. In such a case does anyone talk to me of gentleness and compassion? For some time past, it is true, we have lost the real names of things. For to lavish the property of others is called generosity, and audacity and wickedness is called heroism, and hence the state is reduced to the brink of ruin. 
but let those who thus misname things be liberal, since such is the practice, out of the property of our allies. Let them be merciful to the robbers of the treasury, but let them not lavish our blood, and while they spare a few criminals, bring destruction on all the guiltless. Gaius Caesar, a short time ago, spoke in fair and elegant language, before this assembly, on the subject of life and death, considering as false, I suppose, what is told of the dead, that the bad, going a different way from the good, inhabit places gloomy, desolate, dreary, and full of horror. He accordingly proposed that the property of the conspirators should be confiscated, and themselves kept in custody in the municipal towns, fearing, it seems, that if they remained at Rome, they might be rescued by their accomplices in the conspiracy, or by a hired mob, as if, forsooth, the mischievous and profligate were to be found only in the city, and not throughout the whole of Italy, or as if desperate attempts would not be more likely to succeed where there is less power to resist them. His proposal, therefore, if he fears any danger from them, is absurd. But if, amid such universal terror, he alone is free from alarm, it the more concerns me to fear for you and myself. Footnote. This is the famous passage in which Cato intimated that Caesar was in some manner allied with the conspirators. End footnote. Be assured, then, that when you decide on the fate of Lentulus and the other prisoners, you at the same time determine that of the army of Catiline and of all the conspirators. The more spirit you display in your decision, the more will their confidence be diminished. But if they shall perceive you, in the smallest degree, irresolute, they will advance upon you with fury. Do not suppose that our ancestors, from so small a commencement, raised the Republic to greatness merely by force of arms. If such had been the case, we should enjoy it in a most excellent condition, for of allies and citizens, as well as of arms and horses, we have a much greater abundance than they had. But there were other things which made them great, but which among us have no existence, such as industry at home, equitable government abroad, and minds impartial in counsel, uninfluenced by any immoral or improper feeling. Instead of such virtues, we have luxury and avarice, public distress and private superfluity. We extol wealth and yield to indolence, no distinction is made between good men and bad, and ambition usurps the honors due to virtue. Nor is this wonderful, since you study each his individual interest, and since at home you are slaves to pleasure, and here to money or favor, and hence it happens that an attack is made on the defenseless state. But on these subjects I shall say no more. Certain citizens of the highest rank have conspired to ruin their country. They are engaging the Gauls, 
the bitterest foes of the Roman name, to join in a war against us. The leader of the enemy is ready to make a descent upon us, and do you hesitate even in such circumstances how to treat armed incendiaries arrested within your walls? I advise you to have mercy upon them. They are young men who have been led astray by ambition. Send them away, even with arms in their hands. But such mercy and such clemency, if they turn those arms against you, will end in misery to yourselves. The case is assuredly dangerous, but you do not fear it. Yes, you fear it greatly, but hesitate how to act. Through weakness and want of spirit, waiting one for another and trusting to the immortal gods who have so often preserved your country in the greatest dangers. But the protection of the gods is not obtained by vows and effeminate supplications. It is by vigilance, activity, and prudent measures that general welfare is secured. When you are once resigned to sloth and indolence, it is in vain that you implore the gods, for they are then indignant and threaten vengeance. In the days of our forefathers, Titus Manlius Torquatus, during a war with the Gauls, ordered his own son to be put to death because he had fought with an enemy contrary to orders. That noble youth suffered for excess of bravery. And do you hesitate? What sentence to pass on the most inhuman of traitors? Perhaps their former life is at variance with their present crime. Spare, then, the dignity of Lentulus, if he has ever spared his own honor or character or had any regard for gods or for men. Pardon the youth of Cethegus, unless this be the second time that he has made war upon his country. As to Gabinius, Statilius, Ciparius, why should I make any remark upon them? Had they ever possessed the smallest share of discretion, they would never have engaged in such a plot against their country. In conclusion, conscript fathers, if there were time to amend an error, I might easily suffer you, since you disregard words, to be corrected by experience of consequences. But we are beset by dangers on all sides. Catiline with his army is ready to devour us, while there are other enemies within the walls and in the heart of the city. Nor can any measures be taken or any plans arranged without their knowledge. The more necessary is it, therefore, to act with promptitude. What I advise, then, is this, that, since the state, by a treasonable combination of abandoned citizens, has been brought into the greatest peril, and since the conspirators have been convicted on the evidence of Titus Voltertius and the deputies of the Allobroges, and on their own confession, of having concerted massacres, conflagrations, and other horrible and cruel outrages against their fellow citizens and their country, punishment be inflicted according to the usage of our ancestors on the prisoners who have confessed their guilt, 
as on men convicted of capital crimes. Footnote. Salus remarks of this speech, quote, when Cato had resumed his seat, all the senators of consular dignity and a great part of the rest applauded his opinion and extolled his firmness of mind to the skies. With mutual reproaches, they accused one another of timidity, while Cato was regarded as the greatest and noblest of men, and a decree of the Senate was made as he had advised. Salist's fine comparison of Caesar with Cato deserves a place here. Quote, their birth, age, and eloquence were nearly on an equality, their greatness of mind similar, as was also their reputation, though attained by different means. Caesar grew eminent by generosity and munificence, Cato by the integrity of his life. Caesar was esteemed for his humanity and benevolence, austereness had given dignity to Cato. Caesar acquired renown by giving, relieving, and pardoning, Cato by bestowing nothing. In Caesar there was a refuge for the unfortunate, in Cato destruction for the bad. In Caesar his easiness of temper was admired, in Cato his firmness. Caesar, in fine, had applied himself to a life of energy and activity. Intent upon the interests of his friends, he was neglectful of his own. He refused nothing to others that was worthy of acceptance, while for himself he desired great power, the command of an army, and a new war in which his talents might be displayed. But Cato's ambition was that of temperance, discretion, and above all, of austerity. He did not contend in splendor with the rich, or in faction with the seditious, but with the brave in fortitude, with the modest in simplicity, with the temperate in abstinence, he was more desirous to be than to appear virtuous, and thus the less he courted popularity, the more it pursued him. End quote. End footnote. End of section 22. Recording by Owen Cook in Pottawatomie, Seeded Land.